Hi, welcome to the podcast. I wanted to start off by saying thank you so much to those who've listened this past week. The feedback has been very positive, and I'm really looking forward to working on these in the future. So today we have Nina and Jared in the studio. They're going to talk about their trip to Bosnia. Um, and yeah, I guess it was really impactful, and I'm just going to let you guys lead into it. So we decided to go to the former Yugoslavia area, and that included a lot of different countries. I mean, some of them are really popular, like Croatia and Slovenia. Um, in Slovenia, there's a place called Lake Bled that's super popular. popular. And then there's a place in Croatia um, called Dubrovnik, and that's a capital city. It's also a cruise port. And so this whole area, there's some places that are extremely touristy. Um, but really close to there is a country called Bosnia and Herzegovina. I'm just going to call it Bosnia for short since no one else you knows pronounce how to it pronounce it. Well. Herzegovina. Herzegovina. Um, but in Bosnia, it's a small country, but it was really war torn for in the early 90s. And when we decided to go visit it, I don't think we really realized, you know, what it would be like. I think we were like, oh, that'd be cool to like, you know, get another stamp on our passport. But we were like, I think it would be really interesting to actually see this country. Um, it was Muslim for, I mean, I think predominantly Muslim for many years. And so we thought that would be kind of cool to see a country that had been predominantly Muslim that we knew would have the Muslim call to prayer and things like that. It was going to be a different cultural experience. We yeah. thought this would be a cool place to check out. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think we really understood or even knew really anything about Bosnia or Yugoslavia. We were probably two and three when or four when that war happened. And I remember maybe in passing hearing about it in school, um, but I re really knew nothing about it. And we started listening to podcasts, uh, Rick Steves podcast about that area of the world. And then we just realized that there's tons of history and culture and really interesting stuff over there. So that just led us to want to go even more. Yeah. And so when we got there, it was interesting to drive into. So we took a car, we rented a car and we drove through. When we first got there, we got to Italy and we told them where we were going on our itinerary. And we said, oh, we're going to Croatia and Slovenia. And then we said, and we're going to Bosnia. And the lady at the counter was like, no, you can't take this car into Bosnia. Wow. And we were like, really? And so she goes, no, you cannot find a rental car in Italy that will allow you to go to Bosnia. And so yeah. we were like, okay. So we took a step back and we're like, hmm. well, should we still go? Or, I mean, we had heard from people who had been there before. I mean, because the war that happened there was really not that long ago. Yeah, we're so talking, I think we should backtrack yeah. and talk about Yugoslavia in general. Okay. If you want. Go ahead. So Yugoslavia was made up of like five or six countries. Um, after World War II ended, this country got formed and it was um, Bosnia, Croatia, Serbia, Macedonia, Montenegro, and Slovenia. I think that's all of them. Um, and so they were communist and they were run. Their like leader was Tito somebody or other. I don't know his full name. I don't name. remember his name. Um, but they had, they were communist and they, they were all different, tons of different religions, tons of different cultures. There was a lot of national pride, but the, Tito was able to kind of, this is all stuff that we've learned, but Tito was able to kind of bring that country together. And when he died, things really fell apart and each country got its own leader and they just just decision or whatever division within the countries just started to fall apart. So um, they lasted for a while. There was people liked living there 
until probably Tito died, this guy, um, and it just went downhill from there. And so to start the war, um, a lot of countries or republics within the country of Yugoslavia decided, you know, we're going to leave. Serbia was really holding on tight to things. Like they wanted to keep things together. That leader of Serbia wanted to be the next Tito, the guy that ran the whole country. Um, and, you know, very left and right idealisms and it just, everyone didn't want that. So um, Slovenia left the country. That war, la- that part part of the war lasted like a week. It really, Serbia didn't care. They were way up north. So if you look at a map, you can see Slovenia. It's up north right next to Italy. It was... They just let them go, kind of. And then Croatia said they wanted to go. Um, and so they they said, we're going to be independent. Uh, Serbia said, okay, that's fine. Give us back all your weapons. They did that. And then two days later, Serbia was attacking um, Croatia. Mm. So then a couple of weeks... So Croatia is like a big sea around Bosnia, and Serbia is on the other side of it. So you'll have to look at a map if you're trying to listen to it, but they're surrounded. So like Serbia touches Croatia on both sides and Bosnia is this little island in the middle of this war, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, Croatia had decided that they were going to leave. They had a military guy in power. So they had been caching tons of weapons that they had were buying from other places because they knew that Serbia was going to be like, well, give us back the Yugoslavian weapons. And um, anyways, long story longer, they're at war. Bosnia is like, we're out of here too. Serbia said, give us back your weapons. And they said, okay, but they hadn't been caching weapons. So this war ends up starting and Bosnia had given all their weapons back to Serbia Croatia has weapons. They're able to defend themselves. And, you know, that's this war that started and is happening in like 1992 to 95, I think. It happens from 1992 to 1995. Um, And it becomes very intense and escalates. And so Mostar, which is where we ended up going, was the city where it all happens. And so when we, you know, fast, fasting forward to our trip, we decided to go. We ended up getting a second rental car that allowed us to go in there. And so we drove into the city and, um, and stayed in Mostar. And when we were there, we decided to do, um, look up and see if there was like a private walking tour we could do. And we did a war themed one. Um, so we could actually learn about the war and we became more interested to learn about it once we got there and saw just, there are parts of the, of the city that are very war torn. And then there's other parts that are like, rebuilt and fine. But if you yeah. don't know, I mean, it was kind of interesting pulling in because the first thing I noticed was the cars. There's the old like Yugos and that kind of style car. Yeah. And that's like literally the only thing I remember from my childhood. Cause that's like the short squished, like boxy little cars, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're yeah. like bright red. They're like different colors, like but bright red, bright orange. Yeah. Um, they're like little, I don't know. I just remember seeing that in my books and Mm. school. And I feel like the Bosnian war was probably like to a paragraph maybe in one of my textbooks, but that picture went with it and I remembered it. And so we kind of got interested to learn about the war once we got there. Um, but all, most of the war happened in Mostar and Bosnia basically got screwed. Um, Croatia and Serbia attacked them. Yeah. They basically, so Croatia, Serbia, and Bosnia are all three at war with everyone. So it's not Mm. like 
There's but, no allies. Yeah, no allies, except Serbia and Croatia did have an alliance that they were still at war. They were still trying to fight each other, but they decided they would split Bosnia. And most and right down most are there's this river that goes down um, through the middle of them. And they were like, okay, you know, Croatia, you get that side. Serbia, you're going to get that side. And they were like, yeah, let's just, we'll just destroy this place and get them out of it. And then we'll figure out our other differences later. But they were still fighting on other fronts, like mm. against each other. But they decided in this area, like, we're going to take this part of Bosnia. You guys, or yeah, you you guys get that portion and we'll be good. So Mostar is getting, it's, I forget what it's called when um, a city is stockade or what's it called when a city's completely surrounded blockaded. by blockaded. Yeah. They couldn't get anything in or out. Um, Croatians are on one hill. It, there's a big vat. They're in a big valley and it's almost completely mm. surrounded by in this like bowl. Basically. Bosnia is. Um, Mostar, the city. Okay. And so like Cro- Croats were up on one hill and the Serbians were on the other and they were just. Yeah. And if you take a tour, he, he drives yeah. us all the way up to the hill where there's this place on the hill where you can actually see the valley and he t- brings up a map and actually shows you exactly in the city where they were bombing and how it actually worked. Um, and I think what was insane about this was this was 1992 to 1995. And so you're learning about this war and you're like, this was not that long ago. Like yeah. this was recent. Ago. Yeah. 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 So just a couple of facts about the Bosnian war, just to get it out there. The war lasted from 1992 to 1995. 101,000 people died. 2.2 million were displaced. It's labeled as the first genocide in Europe since World War II. Um, There was ethnic cleansing, systematic rape. Um, The statistics are that between 12 and 20,000 women were systematically raped. And that was part of their war strategy. Um, And so actually talking through some of this. And so there were concentration camps at this as well. So families were split up and put in different camps. Um, Our guide, for example, he had two brothers and um, his mom and dad. His dad was put into a work concentration camp. And he and his mom and his brothers were put into a separate concentration camp. Um, So when you're talking about this and you think about the words concentration camp, ethnic cleansing, systematic rape, I think of like, I don't know, 1880 or 1910. I don't think of the 1990s in Nickelodeon and watch, you know, and my childhood was completely different. Yeah. And so talking about the war a little bit more, um, Everything we listened to before we went said that it was a religious war. And there were three main religions. Um, The Croatians were Catholic, the Bosnians were Muslim, and the Serbians were an Eastern Orthodox Christian. It was kind of shared with us, and like even the Rick Steves one we listened to, it was very like, this was a religious war. The Muslims hated the Catholics and the Catholics hated the Muslims and the Eastern Orthodox hated everybody and, you know, everybody hated everybody. And our guide, he was basically like, it wasn't a war about religion. It was a war about hating a nationality. Um, Only, he said only 5% of people practiced religion, religion. Because you have to remember it was communist and it was just, you were discouraged from practicing religion under communism. It wasn't illegal, but you couldn't get certain jobs. You, your livelihood would suffer if you practice religion. So for 40 years, many people stopped practicing altogether. And so yeah. religion was not, he says like religion wasn't the issue of the day. Yeah. None of us were worshiping anything. Mm. It was where we were born 
that made us who we were. And so was all three of these areas communist? Yes. Yes. They, oh, they were okay. all in that one country of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. Okay. And that guy just had a, Tito just had a tremendous amount of charisma and ability to bring people together and for people to drop their nationalist Bosnian or, right. or Croatian and be like, no, we're Yugoslavian together. Okay. And so he was really good at that. And when he died, it just, it just fell went, apart. yeah, it just fell apart basically. Right. So what other facts, I kind of want to hear all the details about like the history and then hear your experiences with those people out there. Are there any other things you guys can think of that you want to talk about with the history? We did want to share a couple of the stories that the guide told us of being in the city of Mostar while the war was happening. Yeah. Right. So like there was one um, about him, his mom couldn't go out. So he was the one that had to go and get food and stuff like that because so, of like real the quick, systematic rape. And yeah. Stuff. But he was like our age, right? So he's yeah. in his, he's probably 33 or 34 and you know, we're 31 and 32. And so he's yeah. a few years older than us. And so listening to him talk is, this is his experience. This is his, wow. how he grew up. Um, he's not 90 and Jewish. No. Yeah. He's, he's our age. And he's our age. Yeah. And he looks like us, you know, he's wearing yeah. t-shirt and jeans. Like he's like a normal person that went through this time so yeah, his mom couldn't go out. And so he went out and did the grocery shopping, for example. But he told stories about because they were landlocked, because they were all, they were forcing them all into these same areas, putting them in camps. It was ethnic cleansing. They were murdering them as as much as they could. Um, I think it was the American Red Cross that came in at first. The UN. The UN, the UN came okay. in and they blockaded them. The Bosnians blockaded them and tried to prevent them from leaving because they desperately needed help. Like, well, and when the UN was there... Um the Croatians and the Serbians wouldn't, wouldn't drop bomb. Like, so they're sh literally shooting, shells. dropping, yeah, shells like, into the city Constantly. All, all day. Yeah. And so when the UN came in, they stopped doing that. And so, um, so yeah, they, they were like laying down in the streets trying to be like, no, you can't leave. Like you don't understand. And nobody was, there was really very little relief for a long, long time. Well, and the reason was, so Yugoslavia had its own issues for many years and Europe was still recovering from World War II, even though it had been 50 years. I mean, they're not interested yeah. in helping aid and can't really provide it. And so yeah. no one really cared. And that was the crazy part is these people, it was ethnic cleansing going on. And the people who heard about it were like, look, I can't deal with this. Like we can't help. And so no one was helping, no one was doing anything. And the, the first, um, there was a BBC reporter who ended up going in there and doing a documentary about what was going on, like risked his own life. And I got excited because I'm a former journalist and I feel like the media always gets a bad rap. And yeah. I was like, okay, here's a media journalist who actually who did, something. did something awesome. Yeah. But he went in and recorded what was going on. And so this aired and now all of a sudden the Western world starts to realize that there is a country, there's ethnic cleansing going on. Wow. And Bill Clinton saw that and was like, we have to do something. And so he threatened Croatia and said, we're not going to provide any That's aid right. to you if you don't stop this. And so that was the first stop. And so consequently, that the country of Bosnia and Herzegovina love Bill Clinton. They like and they, worship him, right? They like have a gold statue of yeah. him in Sarajevo. <laughs> like they love him. And That's I looked crazy. up the picture. I was like, this is crazy um, that they just love him because he came to their aid yeah. and he fought for, con you know, in Congress for them to get help. And because no one really understood. Yeah. I think they thought like, oh yeah, there's like war going on. But what they didn't know that there had been what between 12 
and 20,000 women that were literally put into a place and raped consistently. And the point was, it was part of their ethnic cleansing. They were raping them so that they could put their seed in them and then wouldn't release them until they were eight to nine months pregnant. So they couldn't get an abortion, like ensured that they would have to give birth to their seed. And so even hearing about flashing, you know, flash forward to today, the children that are born, I mean, there was a bunch of children that were born Mm -hmm. because of that. And they're very confused about who they are because they're two nationalities now. And because nationality is such a big deal over there, they have like an identity crisis where they don't know where they belong and who they are. And it's kind of um, an issue right now. And our guide said that that's become an issue for the children over there to try to figure out who they are and come up with their own identity because they're a product of rape. And they're also a product of two different nationalities. And those are the kind of after effects, I guess, of the war that you don't think about until it's happening. Yeah. What's happening now? I mean, are there, are those people kind of able to find each other a lot better? I would imagine with like technology. Yeah. That was something we asked him about like what it was like. And, um, they're definitely the young people I think are doing much better. And, um, and we'll talk about it even in Italy. We, we left Bosnia and by the, we went back to Italy and we spent a couple nights in Venice and met some Italian people. And we learned some stuff about Bosnians moving back, um, which was cool to hear. But, um, some of the young people like the, our guide had, he was Bosnian and he had Croatian friends and Serbian friends, and he just, he didn't care. Like, the the young people, they had nothing to do with that war. They were two to five years old, you know? Right. So he's moving on, and it, it he actually did mention social media and how much that is helping, just, like, seeing other people and just, like, yeah, almost, it's in one way, it was sad. Like, Nina and I talked about this, like, globalization is in a sense cool for them. Like, is it's helping them like get over the racism basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but also you lose some culture in that as well. So there's, I don't know. It's just an interesting problem to have. Like the nationalists is not necessarily a good thing. Cause that pushes people to like fight for more land for their nation yeah. and like go to war and say, this is mine now. But it also has, there's also culture and, and interesting things mm. about that heritage that we probably won't have anymore if everyone puts that, casts that all away and right. just becomes one unified yeah. person over there. And hates it because yeah. that's their lineage that right. they were forced into. Right. Yeah. That is, that is a crazy, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he said like, he, he's like, you know we want to move on. Like they are interested in really rebuilding. Whereas he's like, my parents, he goes, my mom has PTSD and she will never, she'll never be able to like sit and have breakfast with some of these people. And like the crazy thing is, is all these people after the war became neighbors. And he told the story of someone his age. So in his low thirties, who, um, one of the, I guess he was a Serbian. He must've been a Serbian. Um, no, he was Bosnian. The The guy who shot at him. Oh no, that was a Serbian. Serbian, Yeah. Yeah. So there was a Serbian guy in the army or whatever the army was going on. Um, and they, you know, anyways, he ended up shooting at this kid, like trying to kill him and, um, didn't he missed. So the kid grows up and he lives in an apartment somewhere in Mostar 
And right below him, there's this guy who runs a fruit stand at like a grocery store. And it's the guy that tried to kill him. And that's his neighbor now. And he's like, sometimes he just sits out in a cafe and like stares at him just because he's like, this guy tried to kill me. It's just like stuff like that. That's very interesting to me and kind of bizarre. I can't imagine being neighbors with someone that tried to kill me. And just like, now we all live together and it's the war's over. So now we're friends. And it's like a civil war is very different than a, a yeah. war between two countries when right. civil is you like your, your neighbor. Country. Yeah. Yeah. And all those people lived in Mostar before the war started. And it was like, basically mm. it was like Croatia's going to war with Bosnia. If you're a Croat, like it's time to come fight with us. And so like everyone, anyone that lived there and those people, those family members still lived there. There were like Croatian sides of town. So there were like certain areas that were mostly Croatian people and probably you couldn't find an apartment there or buy a home there if you weren't Croatian back before the war. Um, so when that happened, like they're the same town, the same grocery stores, like uh, Bosnians and Croatians are going to like their husbands are, have separated and are fighting or, you know, sons, but they're still in the same town shopping at the same stores. Like, so it was always, it was, it's a very weird situation. Yeah. And like a weird thing to have happen. Are there yeah. groups that are like, were you guys able to see any groups that are coming together or is there any like leaders in that? Like, I wonder if there's some social justice people. I'm, I think I'm, I'm sure there are the political, I asked about the political stuff. It's still very, very divided. Oh, okay. And like, even within that um, town, there's almost like, if you've read anything or heard anything about Israel, there's like two separate governments that like rule the same area. And if you are Jewish, you're ruled by that one. And if you're Muslim, you're no ruled kidding. by this one. Like, yeah. So that's kind of the way it is there, wow. but not as um, the religion, more as the nationality. So there's like a, still a Bosnian like leader and still a Croatian leader and they're working on like getting those cross platform things, but there's still schools. Like he Mm. went to a Bosnian school, even after it all ended, like there's still segregation. And, but I think, I think it's the young people that are like breaking those walls down and like fighting to just, or just not caring and like having friends that they'll go to a Bosnian club or they'll go to a Croatian bar, you know, they don't care. And I think, as those people get older and that war gets behind them Mm -hmm. and those people sadly die off and like, can that like racism and like nationality or nationalism can go away. You know, I think that'll get better, but we didn't hear about anything specific on like party leaders or anybody. It'd be such an interesting thing to watch, see who starts to (laughs) stand up and make those organizations come together in the future. And it's interesting too, because they, at least from his perspective, look back on communism with like, it was the golden age Hmm. because because they were united. Everybody was united. Everybody worked, made a living. It was like a good time for them. And then after that, everything went to crap. And so for them, he's like, Oh, communism was the best. And it's like, as an American coming from a capitalistic society, I'm like, no, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. But I can understand (laughs) why they feel that way. Because if I had had the next experience, my next experience after communism was the worst thing I could imagine. Then yeah, yeah, let's go back to where when it was good. Um, but it was just kind of interesting, and I think um, 
I don't know. It was just a fascinating time to actually get to sit with somebody who lived through stuff. I mean, he, mm-hmm. we, as we walked through, we got to see some of the bombed out buildings. Um, they've tried to rebuild and a lot of countries sent them money to be able to rebuild their buildings. And some of them, I guess he said there was a lot of crooks that like kept corruption, that money yeah. corruption oh. happened. So that money never got used for that. Um, so the buildings are literally still bullet hole and bombed out and you're walking in a neighborhood and you're like, this is insane. There's just buildings with just bullet holes everywhere regular like tons of them and you're like i can't imagine living in a neighborhood like this um that's crazy um so they're working towards rebuilding and trying to make it nicer but you know they don't necessarily have the money to do that but Mm. it was interesting in venice we were just walking around the streets we found a bar and it turned out that it was like a bunch of locals that lived there and um that were from venice and they worked in like hotels and stuff and they just loved living there which I was surprised that I didn't think anybody really lived in Venice anymore. I mm. thought it was like a place for tourists, yeah. which it is a lot. But we were talking about this was the Bosnian stuff was fresh on her mind. So we ended up talking to her about it. And she was um, she was talking about some of her f- friends who were Bosnian who had moved out of Bosnia and that area when that was all going down and how they were some of their family members were moving back because it was better and things were solid and there were jobs now and like people could get their land back kind of like there was opportunity for that um so there is in recent years there has been a resurgence of like hey you guys can come back like it's fine yeah like let's make the country great again and so that is happening which is pretty cool so that was awesome to hear um about people they knew and um, I think some of the countries want to be a part of the European Union, like Montenegro, which is just a gorgeous, gorgeous place on the coast. They were working towards, right, becoming part of the the union? Yeah, because they're on the euro now. Yeah, they they are on the okay. euro, but they're not part of the European Union, which, um, and like Slovenia is a part of the European Union, right? I don't remember. I think we so. might be wrong on I'm that. I'm pretty sure Slovenia. But one of the, a couple of the countries, or maybe one of the countries from the former Yugoslavia, has made it in, and that is just really good for the economy. Yeah, people can move around and flow between the countries and work in different areas. So that's super helpful in that, and that also helps with, you know, and I think the European Union, from an outsider's perspective, is pretty good because people still get to keep their country pride but they get the benefit of like having help from others yeah so i am sure that i do not know the full picture on it and there's probably (laughs) a lot of people that know way i mean i know there's a lot of people that know way more but so that could be good for them too but i know the european union is very cautious about accepting countries in like i mean you probably heard in the news about greece in the past few years how they were like going to kick them out because they were just a super drain on it and everyone was they were having to send relief to them and um so they don't they're not hasty to add people in for sure so um but bosnia overall i think it was a it was fine to visit we never felt unsafe um, we were told by people like, be careful when you're driving. Cause there's like landmines everywhere. And I think wow. right in the like early two thousands, if you traveled there, there were signs that said, do not venture off the path. Do not drive anywhere. Not yeah. marked because there are landmines buried and there still are. I mean, he definitely told us that there was, Yeah, but it's still relatively like a very safe place to visit. 
Um, but yeah. I found it to be very challenging. I like going, I think one of the things with traveling, like I love traveling and, and relaxing and like, you know, just kind of enjoying myself. But I also like to go places that challenge me. And this place is challenging because it's complicated past. Um, it's very different than my experience. I mean, our guide was talking about like, yeah, when I was a kid, like we collected shrapnel as like a childhood activity. And it's like, that's not wow. my experience as a child. Yeah, okay. Um, and that challenges you. But also like just hearing some of the stories, like I think him talking about, I don't know, the the ethnic systematic rape that happened. Yeah. One of the things that happened is I'm like very, I found myself being very anti-guns, especially in this country mm. with like automatic weapons. And I hate seeing what happens in the schools and um, people just getting access to these guns and shooting everyone. And it scares me. And so I'm like very anti guns, like, you know, get rid of all the guns. And, um, but going there, it challenged me because they took all their guns away and then murdered and then them, them and raped them. And I was like, had they had weapons that could have defended themselves. Yeah. And so something in my brain was like, this is challenging for me because yeah. I haven't found myself in this situation, but had I, yeah. I would want a weapon. Absolutely. And so it kind of changed my perspective. I think that's yeah. what traveling does yeah. is you get to experience a different culture and it, it opens your eyes and you're like, Hmm, maybe my black and white thinking on this is a little not Yeah. yeah if you right. live, if you grew up in the United States, like I think even in like Pearl Harbor, like that's what was such a huge thing about that is people hadn't seen war on their land. And that was like, remarkable and i think we have fortunately grown up where for the most part i mean if you don't count the terrorism like 9-11 um we haven't seen war on our land and so you don't think that it could ever the happen civil war yeah the civil war i mean that was yeah the last thing that happened here so it really did just put it into perspective like people are kind of crappy like yeah. there's like you think that that stuff like after kings and queens died off and like that national like like you're doing this for the king and for king and country like after that left like you thought that this was like behind us as a human race and like but it's not like it just happened 20 <laughs> years ago yeah. 25 years ago or whatever you know so like sadly that's a realization that we've made is like it could happen again. It could happen again. Yeah. And it could People happen in could America. People could get greedy and enough even. and, you know, yeah. who knows? Yeah. There's things happening all over the world that are, like, in North Korea and... Yeah, totally. Um, Africa. It makes me really interested to see what's going to happen in the future. Like, I'm really curious to see who's going who's gonna to rise up in those leadership capacities and start to unite people more. Because it's going to be somebody from our generation... Right. right. And you that's know. basically what he said. He's like, people who have lived through that, you know, in a real way are not really interested in, they just want to get, yeah. get through they day don't care to about day. the national stuff. No, like, that's but not... like people our age are like, well, what's next and what's yeah. the next thing? And yeah, people our age that yeah. want to do that. What's our opportunity? Right. How can we make our country work for us? Like, right. Man. But like on another trivial note, going through visiting former Yugoslavia, you get to see like one, the cars, like I mentioned, those Yugos that are kind of interesting. Yeah. But then there's like other things like the Cocta, mm -hmm. which was... When they were in communists, they lost Coca-Cola. Okay. So they made their own Coca-Cola <laughs> and it was called Cocta, C-O-C-K-T-A. <laughs> wow. Yep. And it's got like, and they still make it now because it's like a, like a cultural thing. They now sure. sell yeah. Coca-Cola, but it's like, 
It's just some people really like it. It was interesting. I tried it. It was like an like a it's like herbs and spices in your wow. not like savory. It's not like Coca Cola. It's brown like Coca Cola, <laughs> and it's sparkly, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a little sweeter and just a little different. So that was fun. There's definitely communist architecture, like yeah, like if you think of communist as like a box and like everything's very the same like that is true like there are regions in Mostar and like when we were in um Berlin and other parts of I think places are, that have been yeah. communist yeah like it's very like cookie cutter let's make these all the same mm. and so that's there are pockets of that and then there are pockets of like old buildings that are way that predate predate a lot of the communism so um, but so it is, it's interesting and it's fun to see some of those differences and, um, yeah, yeah. it's definitely like, I just think as like a, I don't know, a capitalist society, you know, I don't know, just the way I am wired, it definitely challenges me on a whole different level and seeing the way women were treated and I don't know, but also just seeing different things, like even going to a country that was predominantly Muslim, like we got to hear the Muslim call to prayer at night. And I've yeah. never heard that live in a country. I mean, I've been to a Muslim service here in the States, but I've not been to um, actually get to hear that. And it was really pretty neat. And I don't know, it's just a different cultural experience. Yeah. If you're looking for something that's very different than anything you're used to as an American, it's a cool place to go. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Mostar is a very entry level. It's easy. Yeah. You can drive there from Croatia, which a lot of people in the Europe vacation along the coast of Croatia, like it's super popular. Tons of English speaking people. You can easily drive there. A lot of people and, do day trips just yeah. to Mostar and leave, but we yeah. wanted to spend the night and actually get to see it. It's actually really cheap. Well, if you're interested in seeing something that's maybe a little challenging, but I think that'd probably be good for anybody to go see, especially us living here in America. Any of those tough places that or a little bit war torn and a little bit. It sounds like it was a lot worse. Yeah, it was definitely a lot worse. Um, you guys have anything else? I think that's it. You should go. It will widen your your horizons, broaden your horizons. It'll spread your legs. It'll spread It'll your spread. legs. <laughs> Listen to the first episode. You'll get that. You'll get that joke. All right. Well, um, yeah. If you want to follow Nina, she's got her traveling blog and traveling with Nina on Instagram. Um, she also has a thrifting Instagram. I do. And I think do there's an article, if you want more information about Mostar, I think there's an article on her website, travelingwithnina.com. Yes, I did a, uh, yeah, I did a, um, a blog post on the Balkans traveling through the Western Balkans. Is that oh, what's yeah. called? Western Balkans? Definitely hit that up. It. Yep. Well, cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thank thanks you. for having us. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. My goal is to have a new episode out every two weeks moving forward. Check us out on Instagram at the Phonics Scribe and have a great day.